0: Hello, church leaders. Welcome to the podcast that helps God's servants to become more effective church leaders. Today, we're talking with John Royce about elder ministry staff relations, and we're your hosts, Carrie and Becky Holton, and this is the Effective Church Leaders podcast. In our last podcast, we shared part one of Carrie's conversation with John Royce, one of the elders of the Hills Church in the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex area. In that podcast, John discussed the way their church's elders have organized themselves. In this episode, part two of Carrie's interview, John has more to say about the work of elders and elder ministry staff relations. So let's move on. Here's part two of Carrie's conversation with John Royce.
1: There's something else intrigues me, though. Uh, let's go back to your operating committee for just a minute. That is the fact that you have a couple of staff members on that committee. And, and I think this, too, would be a change from what most churches do. Uh, I'm assuming those two staff members have input in the decisions that are made. And if so, I think that would be probably unlike what many churches do these days. Tell us what the rationale was for including a couple of your ministers in that decision-making body. And what have you seen to be some of the values of having those ministers on the operating committee?
2: Sure. When we really decided to give that OC group operating committee group, this assignment, it seemed obvious to the people at the time that a couple of ministers needed to be on that. Rick Ashley needed to be on it because he's the guy that really does the vision really, of course, organizes all of the ministry of the word things, the preaching that he brings? He is the public face to the community. For instance, when we announced the COVID shutdown, and then also when we announced our baby steps as we come back into real time live assembly. Rick's the guy that's the public face of all of that, does all the announcements, and he's very gifted at that. He's especially gifted at preaching. So that's just obvious. He should know what the spirit and philosophy and direction is for the congregation. Uh The one that was uh, amazing to me 20 years ago is they asked Mike Horseman, who's, in my opinion, one of the great forward-thinking leaders in the church. They asked him to take the role. that is basically just called executive ministry. Uh-huh. And he is the point guy for all of staff. He's the guy that looks after all of staff, performance issues, any of that kind of thing. Every, everything flows up through him, finance, even missions, church planning. And this is a unique role. I think there's some of the spiritual gifts that are outlined in Romans 12, for instance, uh-huh. uh, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. He exemplifies the leadership capabilities that are mentioned in those passages those two guys they're the ones that are going to implement any vision within the staff they're the ones that can communicate to the elders we think we should be going this way we think we should be hiring these people it allows them to hold what is basically our staff is big enough now that we have to comply with uh, some of the federal guidelines on organizations that is offering benefits and and having an HR Uh department. We have an HR person that takes care of all of that. But yes, we we needed those ministers in here. I really believe it's been a good team concept that allows our church to to grow. As we went past that thousand fifteen hundred mark, we're just too big to understand what's going on. In this ministry, in that mm-hmm. classroom, whatever it may be but that this allowed, but to be focused in a place where that's what people looked after.
1: Very good. Very good. I, I can see the value of having them on that committee, not just providing possible input and in decisions, but keeping you all aware of what's going on in the church and uh, what's going on in the staff. And then they can take those ideas back to the staff and, and communicate them. But I think that's an excellent idea. You've already talked a little bit, John, about the advantages of this way of organizing your elders. I mean, we've talked about how it's much more efficient. Uh, we've talked about how that it allows you to stay in touch with the church and in communication with the staff and so forth. Are there uh, any downsides to this arrangement? I mean, uh, any potential pitfalls that you've experienced?
2: Possibly one of the things is what do you do with COVID? Mm -hmm. You know, that was in society as a whole. There were people who had very diverse viewpoints on that. Is it serious? Should we be wearing masks to church, for instance? How are we going to, whenever you do a public situation like that, yes, there is the potential that people don't agree with decisions, even within our eldership, even within staff, probably for that matter. Uh The caveat on the OC, on the elders as a whole, is that We have to let people do their job. We have to let ministers do their job. There's going to be people who think, well, even within the elders, it should have been done this way. Mm -hmm. We should be doing this. Where should we send missionaries? What local ministries should we be supporting? Mm -hmm. There are feedback mechanisms built in. We're all encouraged to do that with grace, to do that with the understanding that what seems obvious to us may or may not be what's obvious to other people. We really do have to have some humility as we approach this. It's probably not worth airing the the laundry, but I'll I'll just mention one thing. In our latest capital campaign, the decision was made pretty much that we're not going to continue to build classrooms To support the two-seat model, what we call words, you have a seat at the Bible class, right? In the Bible classroom and a seat in the auditorium. We really wanted to drive to a one-seat model. The implications of that is Bible classes needed to become small groups. It's a great thing to meet on Sunday morning. There's nothing wrong with that. It's edifying to a lot of people. And we still have some of those classes going on. But it's just a future oriented thing. We can't build enough classrooms. We can't build enough parking lots to support a couple of thousand people at the Hills campus itself, where pre COVID we were having four and 5,000 people on Sunday. You just can't keep building to that model. So, how do we change our way of thinking? That was very controversial. Very sensitive to what's going on, sure. but uh, hard decisions that had to be made. Now, on the other hand, if you come by our building any night of the week, there is always something going on in our classrooms, be it parenting ministry, be it uh, Bible study fellowship, be it CASA, um, Celebrate Recovery type items grief recovery, you you come by there on any given night and the parking lot's full. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it ought to be. However many classrooms we have, they need to be used during the week but we can't build enough classrooms to have everybody in two seats on Sunday morning. I see. It's just cost prohibitive. Interesting. Yeah. Controversial subject, of course.
1: Well, sure. I think we need to have you back on here one of these days to talk about how you, how you work through disagreement because you know, you're going to have disagreement on some of these issues, uh, how you handle conflict and how you work through disagreement for the good of the body that that would be a a great podcast. We might have you back for that. Let me ask you this question, John. You talk about uh, four and 5,000 people pre-COVID in your attendance, and even now you, you probably number in the thousands for worship. 35 elders. I can hear a group of elders in, in much smaller churches maybe saying, well, that might be a workable model for you folks in a large church, maybe even mega church, but For us in our church of 200 members, 150 members, 300 members, I don't know that that would apply to us. What could you say to those elders in those smaller churches that would be helpful to them? Are there principles that you have found that have worked in your setting that could probably work in a smaller-sized church?
2: I think the biggest principle that leaders should be looking for in, in shepherding God's flock wherever they're put is to find the people in their church that are gifted by the Holy Spirit. Look at those lists, like I said, First Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4. Find the teachers, find the pastors, find the leaders, find the people that just are obviously gifted by the Holy Spirit. Do, do what they did in Acts 6 when they were having trouble with the Grecian widows. They went and found deacons who were gifted by the Holy Spirit. That was one of the criteria. Mm-hmm. And they turned them loose to do a job. They said very clearly, our ministry is to preach the Word. You folks go take care of that. So one of my favorite stories, in all honesty, when Anita and I came over to the hills 17, 18 years ago, after about six months, and folks schemed us and said, we'd like for you to head the parenting ministry. We said, sure, what's going on? We got basically uh, some leaders who are wanting to step down from that. We uh, jumped in filled that role. And after about a year or two, it suddenly dawned on us. So you can look at this two ways. One is nobody's really been checking up on us. And number two, who do we go to to get curriculum approved, you know, things like that. Uh And so we just politely raised our hand and started asking questions. And a couple of the elders came and met with us and they said, look, if you really have questions, we have no problem with you coming and asking, should we do this? Should we do that? We want to encourage you to do that. But here's what we want you to know. We've appointed you to this role. We trust you. We believe that God's leading your hearts and, and the decisions you make will be good. And we're just not here to second guess or to have to approve every decision you make. We trust you. We love you. And we're confident that you can do this job. We're confident when you run into an obstacle We'll be there for you. In the meantime, we're praying for you, and you're on our our group of people we pray for. It was so refreshing to us to be liberating, quite honestly, Mm -hmm. to be able to just go and do what we needed to do. We had a budget. That was as much a review as we got. They'd come back to us about every year and say, "Uh, do you need more money? Do you need less money? Just tell us what you need. Most of that budget went to materials and child care anyway. For smaller churches, I really think what Paul is telling us in some of those passages, everybody should be gifted by the Holy Spirit to do something. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the charges to leadership is you grow those gifts, you you enable those people to grow and prosper and become mature in their Christian walk and in the gifts that God's given them, and probably, if anything, Church leaders are charged with being sure that that their flock are using those gifts to the best of their ability.
1: Good. Very good. Uh, That's a great story and and, uh, such a wonderful principle from Scripture. Find out where you're gifted and then turn them loose to do the Spirit's work. That's that's terrific. You have reminded me of some other questions that I want to ask when you talk. For example, I, I want to back up for just a minute and talk about Your staff that's on the operating committee, you talked about Rick being the public face of the church. I'd like to talk about visibility for just a few minutes. Uh, For example, uh, how visible do the elders feel they need to be versus how visible the ministers or the staff needs to be? And I guess what's behind this question for me, John, is that in my experience, I think some elders feel that only they can speak for the eldership and for the church, and so they try to be as publicly visible as the ministers, for example. On the other hand, some elders ask their lead minister to speak for them, and he or other members of the ministry staff may be more visible and have a a greater public voice or much more of a public face, I would say. Would you care to comment on this and tell us what your experience is at the Hills? Do your elders, for example, do they have much visibility before the church do they often stand before the church, speak for the church or, or do you rely primarily on your ministers to speak for you and for the church body?
2: I think it's a both end situation. I mean, Rick does obviously the preaching on Sunday mornings or Taylor Walling is our associate minister. But it's it's Rick and it's Taylor. The ministers are very good about speaking to their area of expertise. The elders are always a very available for prayer. We kind of have a rotating system where we're always available for prayer, usually down front at the end of the sermon, you know, to receive anybody that, that needs prayer, needs baptism. For instance, in the last two years, I've stood in front of the congregation, Two times. One was uh, baby dedication Sunday early in January. We always have a baby dedication for the babies that were born in the last year pre-COVID. We'd have all those families up on our stage, and you know whatever elders were there for that service, lay hands on them, bless them, pray for those babies. Well, COVID, we just had them stand in the assembly, and of course, it was a much-reduced crowd, but I was blessed to do that. Right before COVID took off, we actually sent some missionaries to Greece to work with the refugees. Since I knew this one family very well, I was blessed to bless them, to charge them for the assignment the church was giving them, pray over them, and obviously introduce them to the congregation, who they were, and where they were going so items like that usually an elder will uh, do that again this one happened this summer with covid when we send our kids off to camp there'd always be three or four elders there to pray over a bus load or pray over the group before they go so we work different ways to probably be visible senior sunday uh yesterday there was about 10 elders in there Some of our elders have had kids close to or knew a lot of the high school graduating seniors. It's incumbent on the elders to find those opportunities, Mm -hmm. too. And uh, we have a pretty good communication system that's kind of email-oriented, in all honesty. But we all have each other's phone numbers. But we trust Rick. We trust whoever our ministers are in a given situation. We trust them. Uh, Trust goes both ways, of course. We have a great system where we trust each other to do what's going on. If we have any questions, it's always approached one-on-one. Hey, what happened here? What happened there? It is an interesting concept, but in a church our size, the online church alone, we actually need more, quote, online elders, unquote that are not at the assembly that monitor our online services. We always try and have an elder monitoring that as well, where where we can pray with somebody that requests it online.
1: Sounds like you have a beautiful relationship with your staff. I think that's just wonderful. I appreciate you sharing that. You know, John, uh, I've, I've probably kept you long enough or longer than I should have uh, in this conversation, but I do want to give you the opportunity here at the end of our conversation to just say whatever you want to say to elders across the globe. I want you to see this as your opportunity to maybe give some words of wisdom or some advice. Are there three or four things you would say to encourage or advise other elders? I truly believe
2: we need to be able to think globally. We obviously have to act locally. But the global church, we have the ability to FaceTime missionaries, for instance. One of the things I love about our church is all our missionaries are assigned a liaison, I think they call it. Your job is to contact these people two or three times a month, send them emails, send them encouragement. So how do we support, you know, missionaries? How do we support evangelism? One of our ministries, Let's Start Talking, kind of crashed during COVID when we couldn't uh, obviously send out groups to these missionaries Mm -hmm. in in different locations. Somebody had the brilliant idea, let's just get FaceTiming. Number one, the ministers who kind of needed some encouragement, but the ministers found it very easy to set up FaceTime conversations, to read the scripture, teach English, which was kind of the principle of LST. We're going to teach you English for Mm -hmm. free. We're just going to use the Bible. And now we're doing that on FaceTime, which I think is a great Mm -hmm. opportunity. I know people that are time people in Lithuania and Brazil, spreading the gospel, encouraging those ministers. The world has suddenly gotten very small. We've understood that the whole world has come to the Dallas-Fort Worth area to go to school, to go to the universities. How do we pick those people up, encourage them, teach them God's word, again, some of the same concepts? It's truly an international world now. Uh-huh. The same missionaries I talked about in Tanzania can be home in any given 20-hour time period on a couple of flights, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. -hmm. The other thing I would just say, church leaders, read through those gifts of the Holy Spirit and go find those people in your flock. They're there. They need to be encouraged to use their gifts. They need to be Uh, matured and be made confident that God will use them, that God's given them special gifts to use to grow the kingdom. Uh, Whether you're in a big church, small church, online church, wherever it may be, there's opportunity. There's doors open that God has opened up for you to use your gifts and talents to to further his
1: kingdom. Good words, John. Good words. Boy, I appreciate those words. I I'm so impressed with with you all. You seem to be a group of followers of Jesus who are definitely on mission. You know what you want to do. You know where you're going. You know what your purpose is. I just think a lot of folks are going to appreciate these helpful suggestions you've given to us. And and thank you for sharing some of these, not just principles, but some of these anecdotes about your experiences as, as a shepherd. I think they will be very encouraging to a lot of people. Well... We're going to sign off. I just want to thank you, John, for being with us and taking the time and putting such effort into this uh, conversation. Thank you very much, and God bless you and your work.
0: Well, hon, what did you appreciate about that conversation with John? So much good stuff in there. So
1: much. I appreciated so much about it. I really appreciated his reference to 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. And how one of the jobs of elders or shepherds is to encourage people to use their gifts in the kingdom of God.
0: I love that.
1: You know, he said we are all gifted by the spirit in one way or another. That's certainly biblical. And I really like the notion that we should help people identify their gift or gifts then turn them loose to do the job God has given them to do.
0: Yes, I liked that too. And I thought he said so many helpful things about how church leaders should and do view their ministers. He talked about how they see their teaching minister, Rick Atchley, as the one responsible for identifying the vision and how he is the public face of the church to the community and how the ministry staff is responsible for implementing the vision.
1: I thought that was interesting too. And on that note, you may find this of interest. John told me that periodically the elders send Rick away to fast and pray and come back with a vision for the church, maybe a five year vision or a ten year vision. He said that before Rick goes away, he seeks the input of all the elders and the ministry staff and the spouses of the elders and ministry staff. And I was really intrigued by the fact that. That they placed so much faith in Rick to frame the church's vision. And by the way, here is what he said about that Vision doesn't come to committees, it comes to prophets.
0: Wow, that's impressive. And as you said in the interview, the elders of the hills seem to have a beautiful relationship with the ministers and the ministry staff.
1: Yes, and let me add to that picture. We didn't have time in the podcast to talk about their elders' meetings and what goes on in those meetings, but I'll share a little bit with you here about that conversation. He told me they have first and third Wednesday elder meetings. The third Wednesday meeting is usually reserved for business if needed. Then they pray for each other and for specific needs. The first Wednesday meeting, he said, is generally devoted to praying for the ministers and the staff.
0: That's fantastic.
1: Right, it is. He said, he said that two to three elders would meet with one or two ministers, and then they would find a private place to talk and to pray, and that then they would talk with the ministers, inquire about how they were doing, and pray together. And not only that, he told me that those two to three elders would be assigned, well, for want of a better term, to those one or two ministers for six months at a time. And then they would try to take them out for lunch or have them over for supper with their wives, with their spouses, all in an effort to try to create real relationship with their ministry staff.
0: Such intentionality that I hear in that to develop relationships and for everybody to be on the same page with the mission. And I, one thing I was really struck by is that they seem to be so devoted to prayer and of course, to be building those strong, close relationships with the ministry staff. And I just think that is so good. Absolutely. Really, really appreciated that conversation and our sincere thanks to John Royce for his insights and recommendations. I know church leaders everywhere will find his comments interesting, but But more than that, inspirational. I think he gave all of us much food for thought. Yes. And so that's it for this episode of the Effective Church Leaders podcast, where we believe serving as a church or ministry leader should not be so perplexing. All leaders deserve access to practical support, and anyone can become a more informed, more confident, and more effective leader. God bless you all.